Hello. Before this episode begins, we just wanted to take a second quickly to say that this was recorded prior to the news of Butch Reed's recent passing. As fate would have it, this is the first time we've reviewed a show featuring a match involving The Natural, and so we thought it right that we acknowledge this before the episode itself. Myself, Tom, and Old Man would also like to add that our thoughts are with his family and friends at this time. Tonight, the city streets will not be safe. Hey, the dragon's going to be breathing fire right here in Cleveland for the St. Valentine's Massacre. Be there. Across the nation, it's a time when people are looking for love. But tonight, the most explosive men in wrestling will be seeing red and breaking more than just hearts. Now, Superstation TBS presents... Clash 5 St. Valentine's Massacre. We'll be there. You be there. Clash of the Champions 5, the St. Valentine's Massacre. Next. I like the fact that they acknowledge that other sports exist as well. Like, so he, there it is in Cleveland, isn't it? Ohio. Yeah. And so they, they talk, he talks about like, you know, the, the cab, the Cleveland Cla- Cavaliers and the other sports teams that are in the, that make, oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he talks about, <laughs> I thought I got over that. He talks about the Cleveland Cavaliers and the other, oh. <laughs> oh God, it's going to be a mess this one. Yeah. It's going to be a right, mess you, today. Right, we, can I start that again? Uh, so it's interesting, um, like hearing like JR refer to the fact that sports exist outside of, you know, wrestling. You know, he references the Cle- Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> and um, and uh... why can't you say Cleveland Cavaliers without bursting into laughter? <laughs> it's never been a problem. It's because I fucked up the first time. I said Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> and it's just done me. You know, do you know what? Just edit all of this out. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> No, come on, make your point. Make your point. Come on. <laughs> All right, I'll back. I can turn the camera off so I can see you there. Um, <laughs> um, You're just going to laugh at the blank, blank screen, though. <laughs> yeah, give me a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the old Cleveland clavicles. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> right oh. <laughs> right um, it's really interesting hearing uh, like JR do this commentary in this way that you kind of alluded to just then thinking because the fact that he kind of acknowledges that sports exist outside of professional wrestling and obviously in the city that they're in which is Cleveland Ohio Ohio he references the uh, the Cleveland Cavs he references like other sports and big events that happen in that uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the Cleveland Cavs, and you fucked up Ohio as well. <laughs> it was the Cavs that did it for me. That's what they call them. They call them the Cavs. But... No, but you hadn't tried to do that before. So it just... <laughs> do you know, I'm, let's just skip this. I don't want it in there. It's not interesting enough. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting how Jim Ross kind of um, references other sports. So. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because it is in Cleveland, Ohio, which is the home of the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's right, yeah. That's how you say it. The, the, the Browns. And Tom, did you have something to add to that? No. <laughs>
Yes, indeed, it's another episode of the Random Wrestling Review, and we're finally leaving Royal Rumble season behind us as we move into the rest of the year, starting with Valentine's Day. Uh, now, we thought it would be remiss of us to put out the latest episode on the 14th of February and not cover a Valentine's-themed show, which left us with two choices, really. Uh, one of them was the WWF's St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Your House from 1999, where the big show made his WWF debut. Um, but we went for a show that happened 10 years previous to that, and one that's uh, probably a hell of a lot less well-known. It's NWA's Clash of the Champions 5, St. Valentine's Massacre. Um, and if you are as disappointed with us as the, uh, the, uh, the choice of show that we went with, let us know on RWR Pod. Uh, UK, which is our address for Twitter and Instagram, and now Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page uh, newly published uh, this week. So today we have uh, a couple of old romantics that are joining me. Uh, first of all, we've got um, the oldest romantic. He is old man Sam Carey. Sam, how are you doing this week? I am doing good, thank you, Ben. Just want to say thank you to everyone that's, uh, that's listened to us so far. We hope you're enjoying the journey as much as we are. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about a show that I'd never watched before and I'll never watch again. <laughs> I'd never watched it before either. And I imagine I also will never watch again. That's not to say it was terrible, but, um, you know, we, we will we'll get to that in, in, in good time. Um, I'm also joined by the romantics romantic Tom Smith. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, me and uh, me and all the all the studs from back in the day are going to head out later on me. Rick Rude, uh, Val Venus. The model Rick Martel and the heartbreak kid hitting the tiles. Oh, Sounds like a lovely night out <laughs> amongst some some thoroughly wholesome chaps. But it sounds yeah. like also it's it's difficult because you know unfortunately a few of them have sadly passed. So it's going to be a bit of a weekend at Bernie's type shenanigans going on. <laughs> I've never seen that film. I've never seen it. I don't really. I don't even get the reference if I'm honest. No, no. I think they they carry around a dead guy basically. Uh. Mm. lovely lovely well thankfully that doesn't happen at St. valentine's massacre although maybe some of the crowd <laughs> at, the, at the end of the show might have uh, wished they had been um no i don't think it's that bad but um let's 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 talk about it what um what are your general thoughts as we always do let's get your kind of upfront your idea around the show uh old man let's start with you i found it a struggle i'll be honest as we've said in previous episodes we're very much wwe wwf guys i'm used to a certain i think tom put it in one of the episodes a certain production value and uh that's it's not sorely missing here but i just i found it i found it hard to engage and i think it felt like to me it felt like an episode of monday night raw but the show is basically to uh promote shy town rumble Mm-hmm. which is taking place the following Monday. Boy, did I want to watch that show afterwards. It does a <laughs> heck of a job selling that. And to be honest, we're a bit annoyed we're not covering that. I apologise for that, because that's probably my fault. But uh, all the same, wow. um, it was Valentine's Day. We, we had to cover the Valentine's Day show. And in fairness, it's a bit ridiculous, because this show actually took place on the 15th of February. So why they felt yeah. the need to, to um, add on the Valentine's theme to it, I don't know. Tom, your your thoughts as you uh, take a swig of your drinks. I'm just buying you some time by adding in that extra fill. Uh, I uh, didn't need the extra fill, mate. I'm a fucking professional. Um, <laughs> I uh, I absolutely loved it. 
I really, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this show. As soon as, as soon as it started, as soon as the music hit, and there was this weird, that weird intro with like film clips and stuff like that, I was, I was fucking in. I loved this show. I enjoyed it so much. That's that is that is good news. I'm really glad you enjoyed it because that will I mean, give a nice counterweight, I think, to old man's um, lack of interest and in, and what what I feel about it coming on to in a minute. Yeah, and I I just there was something about it. I mean, I, I think I said in the very first episode, my kind of uh, you know, my my I, I love that kind of period between kind of a, a, you know eighty seven and ninety, maybe up maybe going up to like ninety two ish. I love that kind of era. Yeah. And even though this isn't um, what I've seen before, because I, I you know I obviously familiar with a lot of the people on this guy, but even though I hadn't seen um like this and I never really watched um, NWA or WCW, I um yeah I just watched it and I was instantly just taken back to like being a kid again and watching wrestling. I loved it. That's really that is really good. Uh, it's really good news. I'm really happy about that. Um, I personally, I'm somewhere between the two of you. I didn't, I didn't love it. That's for certain. But I didn't, didn't this, didn't find it so much of a chore. Um, there were some bits of it that I was surprised that I enjoyed whilst I was watching it, and then there were some other bits which I thought genuinely were quite good. But, but I think old man's right. I mean, ultimately, it's a build-up show. It's a show on free television to hype up their next pay-per-view which is the chai town rumble that's taking place the, the following monday oh, old man said um the, the purpose of the show is to is to hype up the chai town rumble and that it certainly did so much so that i watched the chai town rumble afterwards or at least started it anyway i was like i'm in i got i gotta watch it <laughs> straight away wow tom are you morphing into billy corgan and your love of nwa Oh, what the Smashing Pumpkins guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was president for a bit. I think he still might be. I think he owns it. He did, he did own it. Yeah. For a while. Uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm to go smash some pumpkins later. Yeah. Can you, can you not like turn into him? Because he's quite an annoying human being. I dare say, quite a few people think I'm quite annoying anyway. Still. So. Yeah, that's true. He he is still the owner uh, of NWA Billy Corgan, um, and uh, Nick Aldis is was certainly the NWA World Champion for a while. He's Magnus from TNA. Um, Tom, you might be more likely to remember English? him. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's also Mr. Mickey James. He is. I believe. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Do he you is. reckon his middle name's William, so he's NWA, the oh, NWA hello. Champion? It's very possible. It's very possible. Um, I thought this was a, a not a good show, but it was all right. It wasn't. I didn't hate it. It was two hours that I, you know, as I said, I probably won't go back to it. But I did think it really I agree with you. I think it really did build up well to the to the following week show. And as you say, it would probably have been a better idea to be watching that. But ultimately, this was the Valentine show, so we went for it. Um, and I suppose, much like every Valentine's night, the four plays always the best part. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And in terms of romance, we had good old JR on commentary, although I guess he wasn't really good old JR. He was just plain old Jim Ross, along with Magnum TA at the beginning of the show, um, introducing things. Magnum TA, of course, had retired by this point following uh, his own. Uh, I think he'd had a, I think he'd had an accident of some kind that had kept uh, had prevented him from um, continuing to wrestle. Um, any thoughts okay. on JR and Magnum TA? Well, I will say this one thing. So, may Magnum Tier may have had to quit wrestling, but he has got a moustache that will not quit. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it is fucking. It mean, his hair and tash mean business. 
He is. He is. He's got a task you can set your fucking watch to. Absolutely magnificent. It is unbelievable. But he is a heck of a looking man. I can't imagine the amount of women he had on this St. Valentine's Day. In fact, you could say that his hotel room was probably a bloody massacre. <laughs> <laughs> he probably had as many women as Ric Flair did in, in, later on in the show. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what as well. It took me a while. I was watching Jim Ross. He looks weird. What what, what looks he, weird about him? He's not wearing his bloody hat, is he? Because the hat was forced on him by yeah. Vince. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a bit like he looks old as well. He he's a very I lo- I looked up when I was watching, so he looks about forty, and I was imagining that he was about twenty five, thirty eight at the time. So he was. So about- I wa- yeah, so I won that off. But for the first like twenty minutes, I was like, Jesus, he did look old, didn't he? And I was like, Am I being harsh? Because he's an old man now. But so, let, let me get this right. You're taking umbrage with the fact that he looks about as old as he is. Yeah, well, no, I I thought he looked older than in my mind he was. He's always looked 40, and then I realised that he was 38. There is a bit during this announcement, right at the beginning of the show, with one of the most amazing signs I've ever seen. I fucking, I love this, and this is one of the things that got me on board. Warriors snack on danger, dine on death. Wow. That is a fucking Metallica lyric, if I've ever heard one <laughs> on a sign. It is magnificent. Imagine that. Imagine being that fucking metal that you're like, I'm going to make this sign and I'm going to hang it up, hold it up and I'm going to end up on TBS Superstation and it's going to be amazing. And it was. And then 20 years later, 30 years later, someone's going to be talking about it. Amazing. What a guy. I'll tell you what I did notice. The amount of uh, the amount of hipsters in the crowd. Yeah. Are these, are these 1989 the, hipsters or now hipsters? Yeah. Well, now hipsters. It was like, Jesus, is embarrassing. Like, There's, people are dressing... Like people at an NWA foreplay show from 1989. Is that the official term we're going to give to anything that builds something else up now? It's a foreplay show. Yeah. Well, it's like the Monday Night Raw before a pay per view. It's the foreplay foreplay. show. And the Friday Night Smackdown is the pre come show. (laughs) 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 Look how happy he is with himself, Tinky. He's so happy with himself. It's because he doesn't usually get that kind of a reaction from me, I think. And he just uh, he completely broke me with that. <laughs> it was good, that one. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was really interesting listening to Jim Ross. I mean, I have um, I think I've seen Jim Ross's, like, debut television. Oh. <laughs> no, we, we already had enough of that with Sean Maltman a couple of weeks back. Um, <laughs> I, I think I've genuinely seen Jim, Jim Ross's first television appearance as a commentator. It was uh, for Mid-South in like 1981 or two or something. Um, and so he looks obviously a lot younger there. Um, but even immediately, like his first appearance, you, you can you can tell that he's sort of a cut above a lot of the of the commentators. And I thought this was really good to hear Jim Ross sort of pre-WWF, pre him having to do his cowboy, good old JR, Southern gimmick which he was obviously not particularly happy about doing at the, at the start and where he's just he's just you know basically delivering his his commentary in the style that he chose to do um and i, and I thought he was i thought he was as good as as he would always be basically from from this point on i thought he was really good one thing that um, did stand out was that 
when we used to watch WWF during the Attitude Era, for example, Jim Ross was very hot on trying to slam the competition for what they were doing. Like he, he very regularly um, kind of re- referred to the fact that WWF had lots of younger, more exciting talents than WCW did. Of course, WCW at the time had lots of older wrestlers that had been stars in WWF in the past. In this broadcast, in the NWA Clash of the Champions 5, he, on about four or five occasions, talks about how NWA is the place where wrestling happens, where they wrestle, um, which obviously was in stark contrast to what the WWF did at the time, which was a bit more cartoonish, a bit more kind of based for the family whereas this was almost kind of a very traditional presentation of professional wrestling in a way that wwf had moved away from at the time to be honest i found that all very tiresome that he kept saying that especially when he says it during the lex luger match against the blackmailer (laughs) which has about as much wrestling as i'm doing sat in a chair talking about wrestling Um, the opener was the Midnight Express against the Russian Assassins. Um, I believe that when the Express came out, WWE dubbed over some license-free or WWE-owned license music um, for their entrance. I'm not sure what their entrance music was, actually, at the time. Um and the Midnight Express is Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, as opposed to Buddy Rose and Dennis Condry, who were the original um, Midnight Express and who were in a feud at the time with this version of the Midnight Express. They being uh, managed by Paulie Dangerously, later to be, well, always Paul Heyman. I thought this was a, a, re- a decent little tag team match. I didn't think there was anything uh, too bad about it. It did last 13 minutes, which I thought was slightly too long for a two hour show in which they were hoping to fit in seven matches. But it was all right. Uh, Tom, your thoughts. So that's disappointing hearing that about the, the old music. Because I've written the Midnight Express's music is fire because it was. I was loving it. And I, to find out that it's not actually their music is disappointing. I don't believe um, it. Anyway, I'm not for certain, not for sure, but I did think it was dubbed over. It didn't sound, it didn't sound like the music mm. from within the um, within the arena. So, can we talk about the managers for a second? We can. Oh, yes. So the, the Russian assassin's manager is called Paul Jones. Paul Jones, yes, he had yeah. been a, a pro wrestler in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, was okay, not nothing too special, but he was alright. Paul Jones manages the Russian assassins. Yeah. That, well, sound, that seems like a bit of an odd name for someone who had managed the Russian assassins. I'm sure, why didn't they go for like a Vladimir or someone like that? Like, that seems to be a bit more sense rather than big. Who's that? Oh, it's Paul. Well, yeah, I, I, he was I, just one of the managers, though, that it just existed in NWA. So it wasn't like they'd specially brought the, Paul Jones in to manage this team. He was just a manager at the time who happened to get the contract for these guys. Also, <laughs> the Russian assassins were actually called David and Kenneth. So, they, yeah, they aren't. Uh, to be that that took some digging as well. So I really hope the listeners appreciate that. Yeah, and Jim Cornette is swinging his tennis racket around like Morrissey with a bunch of gladioli. <laughs> he is absolutely giving it some welly. He is not a charming man, but he uh, he's he's loving life. He's just there, he's dancing around to the music that's apparently not happening, uh, which is di- it's disappointing. Um, I thought one of the one of the Midnight Express was Stan Lane. Yeah, well, Stan Lane and Bobby. Yeah, going back to the Paul Jones of it, or Stan Lane is a great name, isn't it? I mean, if you needed a wrestler to like, I don't know, jumpstart your car or I don't know, do some tiling <laughs> or plaster your living room, you know, the big Stan Lane is going to do a cracking job, don't you? Well, Stan Lane was, I think, Stan Lane was the person who, again, only very briefly, but came in to replace Stephanie Wyand as WWF's oh. backstage. 
um, interviewee, uh, interviewer, sorry, in sort of mid 95. So when Wyand was slacked off for being rubbish, um, they brought in Stan Lane and he didn't last very long either, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he was her replacement. So there's another little connection there for, for you guys. Oh, lovely stuff. My main issue with the match, Stan's super kick lane doesn't do one super kick to my knowledge. <laughs> and beautiful Bobby Eaton. I mean, I'm no oil painting, but Jesus Christ, if he's beautiful. <laughs> my God, what an well, awful he would- face. Stan Lane's name was actually Sweet Stan. Sweet Stan and Beautiful Bobby. That's what they were in the Midnight Express. But I, he may have he also had the super kick um, moniker as well. What I um, find odd about this match, there's actually a, a couple of, like a, they're obviously spending a lot of time talking about um, what's going to happen at Tri-Town Rumble when the Midnight and the Rock and Roll Express kind of go at each other. Poorly Dangerous joins on commentary. Commentary. There is one bit of the old bad WCW production at one point when they do like a promo comes up in the top right hand corner, mm. um, and it's Paul Hate Poorly Dangerous. They're doing a pretty good good promo, but it's really oddly placed because they're so far out away from the ring, you can't tell what's happening. And the promo goes on for about a minute. It's just really really bizarre. Like it, again, it's those little touches which kind of make you appreciate how good the WWE's production is. But there's one bit on commentary that I really liked. When JR says it, and again, it's that whole kind of taking it seriously as a sport. He says, and I quote, why would Jim Cornette arrange a match against such tough opponents when they have uh, a match against the Rock and Roll Express on Monday? And I just thought that was just a really nice touch. Do you know what I mean? Being like, that shows that Jim Cornette is their manager. Like, which again, is, which is something you yeah. never didn't ever really get that much in like WF when you hear about managers. They don't tend to, they tend to just be like more valets, but more so than anything else rather than an actual like manager. Um, and I thought I was just quite a nice touch in the match from, from our big old, good old JR. Good. Big old JR. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Midnight Express during this match were pretty good. I thought their opponents, though, were really poor. I thought that their offense just looked really bad. They At one point, they do some bear hugs that just look like... Oh. I mean, they just Two look, of them! There, there's a couple of them, yeah. Where they, and I think they both both do a bear hug at some point and both of them are just really poor but you know it was it was mainly there to put over the midnight express versus the midnight express matches that were the match that was about to happen at the china yeah. rumble between cordette's midnight express and Heyman's midnight express and so um and i think it did that job we had paul Heyman on commentary um poorly dangerously on commentary um although it was a bit weird seeing Cornette as a baby face i find that a bit jarring um and this must have been an anomaly because again in sort of the early 80s, Jim Cornette sort of made his debut in Mid-South and he was a heel manager then. He obviously went on to be a heel manager pretty much everywhere else as well. So this must have been kind of a a, a, a short part of his career where he was a babyface just to facilitate this Midnight Express versus Midnight Express kind of feud. How long had Paul Heyman been around at that point? Because was it, it, kind of, it really kind of seems to me to be like a bit of a a way to get him over as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Paulie Dangerously would go on to be essentially the premier manager in in the company by like the, the by 1992 with dangerous alliance so this would have been certainly part of that kind of journey that he was on as a as a as a relatively new manager to the nwa at the time oh man you were obviously not very impressed though in general well i i thought it was fine like the the double bear hug was a bit too much to be honest i mean one one bear hug's enough to be honest um, one thing that did strike me is that I wasn't very impressed with the referee. There were slow counts and also no counts at points. And also I noticed is one of the uh, Midnight Express 
Come over for some super kick or beautiful. They properly manhandled the ref at one point. And I was a bit like, hang on, you can't do that. <laughs> I I just thought it was, and also it was very, uh, I think because I'm, I've been brainwashed by watching WWF and WWE my whole wrestling viewing life until we started this podcast. It was just crazy to see a face put their hands on the referees and not have any repercussions from it. One thing I've noticed about NWA, and indeed it, it goes on into WCW as well at times, is inconsistency about the rules being applied. And, and they're probably, for me, more um, obvious than, than just what you've brought up, old man, most of the time. And most of the time it, it revolves around the sometimes applies, sometimes doesn't apply rule that you're not allowed to throw someone out of the ring in NWA. So this is something that is yeah. actually a rule and they use it again and again and again to end matches like they all very often disqualify someone for doing it um or or even disqualify some people for looking like they have thrown someone over the top of the ropes when they haven't and but then they don't enforce it the rest of the time so it happens really regularly during nwa and wcw shows and they don't enforce the rule and it, and it, even on some shows, they enforce it some matches and then don't enforce it on other matches on the same show. It is something I don't think they ever really did very well is, is that consistency of these are the rules. And I like the idea of there being different rules that apply in a different wrestling league. I think that's that makes a lot of sense. But they just don't apply it consistently enough for it to be effective. Can you imagine going to a show and every match ending with a disqualification because someone threw someone out the ring? It would be like a series of like reverse one-on-one Royal Rebels. What is weird about this match though is it ends when so in the tide turns when the Russians miss a headbutt. So yeah. what happens is one of one of the Russians has got one of the Midnight Express. His arms behind his back holding. The other one comes in for a headbutt, and then the member of the Midnight Express moves and they headbutt the other one. How on earth would that happen in real life? <laughs> it's just so it's such a weird. It's such a, just hit him with a punch. It would it looks it would be so much more realistic. But to be able to move your head that entire way. And for the person who's doing the headbutting, not being able to stop their momentum is just, is just such a strange finish. Don't get me wrong. I mean, why wouldn't you stop running if someone threw you against the ropes? But so you obviously have to take this with this, you know, pinch of disbelief. But I just thought it was a really strange choice to end the match that way. It was badly executed as well. It didn't look like it didn't. Yeah. It looked like he was trying to hit his partner as opposed to. Um, trying to hit his opponent so yeah it did it wasn't the best one of the best of finishes and um Eaton and Bobby Eaton ended up getting the pinfall after a splash yeah which to be fair looked very good yeah I thought this was yeah. I thought this was okay I thought this was a fine match um put it this way I'd rather watch this match or maybe I wouldn't rather watch it but I think this is a better match than um for example we had three three tag team matches at royal rumble 1992 and other than the opener the other two tag matches i thought were not as good as this tag match just my opinion i be honest i find it hard to look past the classic that was the bushwhackers and the beverly brothers (laughs) i uh, I mean it's just sad that you've got such a short memory for (laughs) classics like that i'm sorry i'm sorry i know i just very fickle. I'm just very fickle. For in-ring technicians going um, to work. 
Up next on the show, we had um, Bob Caudle interviewing Ricky Steamboat, and he was Ricky Steamboat was joined by Little Dragon, his son. And not this was uh, not long after Ricky Steamboat had returned to the NWA after being with the WWF. Um, we see we saw some footage of Ric Flair trying to attack Steamboat on their weekly television show. Any thoughts on this promo, Tom? Fuck Ricky Steamboat and his kid. It just <laughs> does my does my head in every time. He's always there. He's so boring. He's just always there with his kid. He's genuinely one of the worst promos I've ever seen. There's a bit where he goes, if you don't believe me, you watch your camera in the dressing room. What does that mean? <laughs> his gimmick is basically that he's a dad yeah. and he's a family man. He's a family man. Been married five times. So, you know, you can't come across all sanctimonious like that, Richard. Um, and also, his name is Ricky Steamboat. His real name is Richard Blood. That... <laughs> It's such a better name than Steamboat. <laughs> like, I just, and also, I, I'm going to put it out there. I know we had a lovely time when we were at WrestleMania 25, and he was in that tag match against Jericho with uh, Piper and that and Snooker. But Ricky Steamboat is probably, in my opinion, one of the most overrated wrestlers of all time. Wow. I, I do not think he's very good at all. Um, the, only thing, the only thing he does is a chop off the top rope and a drop kick, and he's got a cracking deep arm drag. But other than that, there's nothing to him. He's, he's got an extremely limited move, move set. People talk about the matches with Flair as if they're amazing, and they are. But let's be honest, you're in the match with Ric Flair in his prime. And the other only other match that anybody else ever talks about is the match with Savage at WrestleMania 3, which is also amazing, and he plays his part in it. But it's with Randy Savage as well. So can anybody tell me any other Ricky Steamboat match apart from those those like three matches? It's a great point. It's a great point. I couldn't name one for you right now. I'm sure there will be plenty of our listeners saying, oh, well, you know, later on in uh, WCW in 92 and that he was he was really good. But you're right. I, I can't right now name another one. No, basically, no, <laughs> no. the best match that I think I've seen a steamboat have is Little Dragon and the battle that they had inside their mind to not grab the microphone during this promo. Yeah, like like I spent. It's reminiscent of, I think it's Didier Drogba's, yeah, who after, after Chelsea won the Premier League, and he's going to town on that microphone. He's absolutely living the dream. And I get the impression that that was going through Little Dragons, which is a weird name for a child, I'll be honest. If they've christened him Little Dragon, <laughs> it's, not very, uh, it's not very pleasant. But yeah... To echo Tom's point about, in terms of Steamboat matches, I don't think, apart from the one that we saw at WrestleMania 25 and the Savage one, I'm not convinced that I've ever seen one, to be honest. Can I just say another thing that annoys me about Ricky Steamboat? Why not? His insistence on bringing his kids to work. It does my fucking head in when people bring their kids into work. It really annoys me. Like, I'm like, come, like, at least go down to the canteen or something like that. Like, must you come up and disrupt the entire office with your child? You know what, though? More and more annoying than that, though, is all the people, all the sycophants that go up to them and like, oh, you brought your kid in. Oh, how nice. No, go away. Yeah. I heard you slagging her off in the canteen yesterday. So don't don't give it to the big ones just because they're bringing a kid around because you want to seem like a nice person. That's does my head. I I'm that's not going to be me. I'll put it out there. I'm not um, ever taking my kid into work. I I wouldn't want to put them through it. If I'm being honest. Well no no. Why would why would you want to go into work as well when you're off on your maternity leave? Like fucking hell. Oh. Um, no, back to Steamboat. Like I I'm not going to go overboard in terms of criticism of his matches, but 
I think his character that they've they've set him up with the the gimmick they've given him for this run with the NWA is utterly terrible like it is properly terrible you're absolutely right he comes across as a proper like um puritanical dickhead judging everyone for not being a proper like family and shit it's like it is like i can't i can't imagine i honestly can't imagine any period of time where that would be a really really major plus um i can understand if you played it a little bit more subtly and you know back in maybe the 70s or whatever yeah that kind of a gimmick if you played it a bit more subtle and you and you put it out there that you were just a kind of wholesome guy hell that was bob backland's uh gimmick during the 70s that made him so over with the wwf crowds but in the late 80s and you're so sanctimonious about it no it was it, it put and it actually over the course of the show i think you hear it put the crowds nose out of joint they get fed up of him they get annoyed with him and he start they start cheering for flair so i'm i'm with you i thought the i think the character is dreadful i think it's really awful the the um the, the thing about it is well you're right sanctimonious is, is the right thing you know he's judging people for people not having the same lifestyle and same values as him and tell you what the only time i can imagine that ever being really good is if he was in right to censor yeah and it would have worked but I mean, as if a he heel. was a heel yeah, yeah if he was in right to censor would be well uh, oh, we don't like to talk about right to censor because they ruined val venus and the old man for a bit but um yeah but yeah here here he's just he's supposed to be the babyface he's supposed to be the babyface chasing the championship and and people are supposed to be getting behind him and they're never going to get behind him with this with this gimmick it's just it's just really awful i wonder as well whether or not it's connected to the fact of why he left wwe because obviously he left wwe because he wanted to spend time with his wife and his his child and vince didn't want to let him after having put him over as the world champion at wrestlemania 3 uh as the intercontinental champion and yeah and so he left wwe and now he's obviously gone back to to nwa and i wonder if it's just tied in with that they thought they would almost kind of take the feature of why he ended up leaving um wwe and make it the feature of his gimmick here except that obviously no one at the time knew anything about that so why it would be a sellable thing i don't know Imagine if they did that back in like in like nineteen ninety six ninety five to through to ninety eight, uh, and everyone was just money grabbing dickheads <laughs> like they were when they all went over to join WCW from WWF. That'd be amazing. Tell you what, old Steamboat's taking a kick in there, isn't he? He has a bit. He has a bit. I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to go overboard in terms of his matches, but certainly the character I thought was just dreadful. You know what? I think you should go overboard on his matches because I can see it. This burn, this yearning in your eyes. No, he's not Chris Jericho, don't worry. Um, ah. Moving swiftly along. Uh, match two saw Hacksaw Butch Reed up against Steve Casey. Teddy Long, interestingly, uh, making an yeah. appearance as referee here. And um, during the match, we had two people kissing in the crowd. It was very yeah. They kind of did go go again going overboard a little bit they did go for it a bit too much i felt and um i thought this was going to be a theme running through the show obviously because it was valentine's day um and it that it sort of that was the end of the theme <laughs> and then it's, it's, it's a one-off and they're properly necking and the worst thing is is that the commentators not only acknowledge it but like magnum ta goes is something like oh look at that whilst he's bloody stroking his tash and uh <laughs> and then good old jr goes well uh, that's special right there and it's like jim stop you <laughs> bloody pervert you look about 18 months older than you are and you <laughs> shouldn't be saying stuff like that it's bloody, awesome, 
the next thing, they just cut to another bloke in the crowd. He's just holding the toilet roll. <laughs> he's ready for a romantic night in with himself. Isn't he? <laughs> well, that's it. He's bloody prepared. Oh, can, you, can you imagine the fucking work that toilet roll did later on that night? Um, this was a match that lasted 17 and a half minutes. Oh. Uh, and ended with a shoulder block from the top rope by Butch Reed for the win. I'll start with my thoughts on this one because this, the first two or three minute, minutes, I was like, oh, this is going to be, this isn't going to be very good. This is going to be really boring and I'm not going to enjoy it. And it's probably going to last six or seven minutes. And oh, Butch Reed's obviously going to win because he's due to face Sting at the Chai Town Rumble that they told us about during this match. And then as it went on, I thought I was getting bored. And actually, towards the end, I actually enjoyed this. I, don't know why but i didn't think this was terrible it should have been it was 17 and a half minutes long it was doing two muscle guys it was effectively not much more than a than a kind of enhancement talent match because butch reed was always going to win and yet i didn't dislike it i still quite enjoyed it towards the end um i can imagine it's going to get a lot of heat from the from both of you but i didn't i didn't hate it it was a match that i enjoyed quite a lot despite the fact that it had a lot of reverse chin locks in it <laughs> it had loads that went on for ages yeah. but I, I thought it was all right and going back to that shoulder block that he does off the middle rope off the top, it's fucking brutal yeah, absolutely brutal. And to defeat the undefeated Steve Casey as well, it's quite a fe- quite a feather in the cap of uh, Butch Reed, definitely. Well, you know how like wrestling seems to be the best covered thing on Wikipedia. Like, there's nothing that's covered in as much detail on Wikipedia as wrestling. Like, World War Two doesn't even come close to it. It's ridiculous. It has so many pages on on Wikipedia. There's no Wikipedia page for Steve Casey, so that shows you the the extent of his of his career. Like, you'd have to go in a bit more deep on your um on your research to find anything about him. But yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't hate it, old man. You know what? I'm in agreement with you actually, Tinky. So I started watching it, and a bit like you, I was like, this is gonna absolute dirt. I liked the fact that it wasn't just a bludgeon fest for most of it. But the one thing that really uh, ground my gears about it was that I so there were what it feels like about half an hour, but it's probably only about four minutes. Old Haxel is walloping poor Steve Casey, absolutely walloping him. And I'm like, there's a comeback coming here. Butchery's still going to win, but Casey's going to get some stuff in and then some. Don't get anything. <laughs> he literally doesn't get. Don't don't lay a glove on Butchery. And then it ends with, as Tom rightly puts it, an absolutely brutal shoulder that I think probably would have broken me in half. But uh, going back to old Teddy Long, Mm. he looks probably 25 years older than he does now (laughs) because he is clinging on to that hair almost as badly as I did to mine before (laughs) shaving it off. That is exactly what I've written. Teddy Long is the ref, and even though he's obviously younger, he looks about 30 years older than he did in 2005, <laughs> is my direct quote. Uh, it's madness how old yeah. he looks. Yeah. yeah. I, I like how you spoke, even though he's obviously younger, <laughs> just in case anybody was doubting it. Just in case there was any time travel or anything going on, any yeah. of those shenanigans. I will say uh, as well about this match, Butch Reed gets some incredible heat. Does, the yeah. crowd absolutely fucking ate him because he's very good at what he does. And Steve Casey, undefeated Steve Casey, is about the perfect foil for him. 
because everybody knows Steve Casey. <laughs> Steve Casey, number one. <laughs> the issue, the issue, the one issue I really do have with this match, and it's something that I absolutely hate, is he kicks out immediately after the three count. Oh, does my does my head in as well. Once every now and again, like you can almost the only time it's ever been respectable is I think at six after um after Hogan loses to Warrior at WrestleMania six. That's the only time I can ever allow it. And even then I'm not really happy about it. Um I just don't I just don't like it. I feel like feel like it cheapens the finish. Well I don't I don't mind it. I don't mind it, but I think it has to be done sparingly and at the right time. I don't really think the Hogan Warrior thing does qualify for me, but I would say when you're like you've got someone in a schoolboy or a small package or you know, one of those type pin pinning combinations that makes sense because you haven't knocked them out to pin that's them. fine I, I'm, I'm fine with that I, yeah. i'm fine with that it's after it's after a finisher yeah right okay well especially this finisher as well like yeah. yeah it's not like he's just like shoulder tackled him he's fucking killed the poor man well it's it's a you know this is a build-up match for butch reed to face sting at the pay-per-view that's coming the following week or four or five days after this and you know, as I say, Steve Casey's not even afforded his own Wikipedia page. He obviously wasn't that important. I've found him on another kind of um, type wiki type thing. Um, by the way, his nicknames were Sensational, uh, oh. Steve Casey. The Great, Steve the Great Dane, because obviously he was called Steve Dane somewhere. And Hot Bod as well, which is another one of his nicknames. But the point is, he's not, he's not particularly a big high profile wrestler. This is on free TV. They're building Butch Reed up and he still takes 17 minutes to beat the guy. And even then Casey decides, or they have him kick out of, uh, of Butch Reed's finisher, like immediately after the three. I mean, it wasn't like a very, a match where they really put Butch Reed over, was it? Like he got the win, but it wasn't like they really kind of bigged him up ahead of a match with Sting. Can we, can I say what is sensation about Steve Casey? His hair. I was sat watching it on the sofa and my wife was next to me on her phone. And I said, love, look at his hair. And she went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was all you got to know about it. Indeed. Next up was... My goodness, the amount of notes I've taken, I've put together for the next segment are quite um, substantial. And I'm not going to go through them all. But basically what we had is Ric Flair coming out to the ring with an entourage of five women and, and his manager, Hiro Matsuda, his manager at the time. And they came down to the ring with, for an interview with Bob Caudill, where Ric Flair called on Steamboat, Steamboat to come out and take his pick of the women that he was offer, that he had with him. He then also offered these to Bob Caudill. Um <laughs> And neither of them seemed to be interested. Flair then offers offered Steamboat the chance to pull out of the match that they were due to have at the Chi-Town Rumble over the NWA Championship. This brought out Ricky Steamboat. Then everything got a bit physical. And they went back and forth for a little bit. Ricky Steamboat ended up stripping Ric Flair of all of his of his suit and his tie and his shirt to the point where Ric Flair was just in his pants. But these weren't wrestling pants. They were like just pants. Um, and before eventually uh, Flair escaped and then Steamboat put on Flair's ripped clothes and said something to the effect of, so this is what it feels like to wear a million dollar suit. I thought this was a cracking angle, really loads of heat from the crowd, really set up the match at the Tritown Rumble well. Um, but I still think that there's just a big issue with the fact that Steamboat's character was really putting the crowd off. Um, old man, what, did, what was your thoughts? I mean, it's magnificent. The whole thing is tremendous. So first of all, Oh, Flair's women are dressed as Undertaker Druids, I think, because they're all wearing exactly the same garb. They are. Uh, Flair will not let old bloody Bob wash his chops. 
say anything. <laughs> I was watching it, and he's kind of rambling on a bit, Flair. He ain't really like making any sense. And then when Steamboat comes down, he says, here he is, mum's apple pie, which <laughs> had me absolutely killing myself as I watched it on the sofa. I absolutely loved it. And then Flair turns it on. And the promo, oh, my God, it just, I can't remember any of what he says. I could barely understand what he says. But it is incredible just how much, like, he literally, like, he has the crowd kind of a little bit with him. And then Steamboat comes down. And then the crowd are just, like, red hot. Uh, after they have a little scuffle, it's a bit embarrassing for Steamboat. Because not only does he not cut a very good promo, but he does the crossbody off the old top rope and then pins him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pins him for for about a six count as well. He obviously doesn't realise. I could just imagine Flair being underneath him, just being like, why are you pinning me, you stupid prick? <laughs> and uh, the crowd are observing it. What you said about um, when Steamboat puts the suit on, I thought the crowd were with Steamboat okay. 100%. At that point. Well, I think I think um, you might be right uh, about that particular bit. I just think at times when whenever he spoke, the fans just didn't. Yeah, they, they were booing yeah. him. They just didn't want to hear him. And I think maybe it was just that they were the fans were rejecting the character. They like Steamboat. Steamboat, don't forget, had been a star in in um, the precursor of Jim Crockett Promotions, which is obviously what NWA was at this point. Um, Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Ricky Steamboat had been a, a star of, of that show before he went on to WWF. Um, and and I no doubt the fans still remembered him from that time and really liked him. I just think that they were rejecting this character wholeheartedly. Tom, your thoughts? Um, not much really to say that hasn't already been covered because you guys have done a very thorough and good job. But one thing I will say is that Ric Flair is every bit as good as Steamboat is bad on the mic. He is he's just the, the charisma is, is just off the charts and like even you could tell people don't want to like him but they they can't help it they love it and yeah everything that we kind of all my thoughts on this have kind of encapsulated by what we kind of said earlier when we did our little shoot on steamboat's character right, don't don't don't, um, don't bring me in on this you you were the one who really did the shoot on steamboat <laughs> well you got you got involved so I, the, the tape the rewind the tape back and that'll tell the truth um <laughs> But yeah, I just I loved it. I, I was so up for this. I was almost at this point tempted to turn it off and put on the uh, put on the show ten rumble mm. afterwards. So I was I was I was really I really enjoyed it. And the crowd are so hot. Poor old um, hero Matsuro gets a bit of an unnecessary kick in from Steamboat, which is a bit of a dick move. Which yeah, was a bit like again a bit odd because he literally has done nothing. He doesn't try and attack Steamboat at all. Steve just turns around and just decks him for no reason, which I thought was a bit harsh. Well, he's the heel manager, isn't he? He's the heel manager. Yeah, but yeah, I've done anything. But what is quite interesting is that moving ahead slightly to the next match, he uh, comes down uh, with um, the blackmailer and looks remarkably well. He looks fine. <laughs> he looks fine. No problem. Yeah, didn't yeah. take him long to recover. Um, yeah, Hiro Matsuda comes down with the blackmailer for the next match. The blackmailer might be the worst wrestling name I've ever heard. <laughs> And I like the fact that they don't know who he is either. And it turns out, I think he's one of the Russians. He is. He's one of the Russian assassins. He's the one. He's the one played by Jack Victory, who was um, did appear at ECW towards the end of ECW's uh, run. Jack Victory. But yeah, he's he, he a bit of double duty for him. Um, one of the Russian assassins and the blackmailer here, both wearing masks. I thought there was a couple of good power moves during this one by Luger. I thought he did a decent looking sort of bump over the top rope at one point. 
when he missed a running clothesline. Uh, yeah, he went on to win with a superplex. I thought it was okay. Lasted a bit too long though. Like the, I think the both of the first two matches and this one lasted too long. Twelve, just nearly thirteen minutes. And yeah, not an awful lot to say about it. I didn't think it was terrible, but it, it didn't. It won't live long in the memory. Tom, your thoughts on this one? We all have a lot of time and respect for Dolph Lundgren, especially uh, his. Um, <laughs> His magnificent turn as He-Man in Masters of the Universe. Oh, yes. But it should have been Luger playing He-Man. He should have played He-Man. He looks like the He-Man from the toys and the cartoon. It should have been him. And I'd be damned if I'm not going to start a campaign now to try and <laughs> do a remake of it with Lex Luger now. De-aged like uh, Robert De Niro in The Irishman and playing He-Man in, that, in this exact same film. If you could de-age Lex Luger, then surely you can just make someone else look like He-Man. No, that won't work. <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, no, uh, you're right. A bit of a nothing much. I quite enjoyed it, though. Again, there's a bit of a, a, bit of a suspect reference because evidently um, he, uh, JR says that uh, Lex Luger came from Penn State and makes a bit of a reference to old Joe Paterno, which hasn't aged particularly well because Joe Paterno was... Uh, a very dodgy man who was involved in a gigantic paedophile ring at Penn State. So that didn't yeah. age very well. Lovely. Um, On Valentine's Day as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awful, isn't it? That's terrible. On, the, on, on that day of all, of all days. Of all Jay, days. I don't bring up <laughs> But yeah, it was all right. There was a bit of an odd bit in it where um, the, the blackmailer... So Lex Luger, get, he does like a sunset flip over the top rope with the blackmailer. And the blackmailer's holding on the rope to stop him from falling back and there free comes on and just boots him it's yeah really like why is he getting involved i think i don't think that's an illegal move is it <laughs> he just runs on just kicks his hands seems a bit harsh um but that's my note on the match i thought god it was shit I bloody... <laughs> it's just the one one thing i did uh find basically i got quite bored during this so i Started looking up Lex Luger, and uh, turns out Hiro Matsuda or Matsura uh, trained him, which is nice. I just wish he'd done a better job. <laughs> because, like, this is, to be fair, a perfect Luger match in that there's no wrestling, it's just power. My issue is Luger poses after every move he does, like, every single move. He, like, he does a clothesline, he poses for the crowd. Or he looks out in the crowd just looking like, yeah, 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 look at him on the floor. Look what he did. Toss there. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I also uh, had a good time with the ref kicking the blackmailer's hands away, which I thought was disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I also worked out that nine, I think it's 97.4% of the match is either a headlock or a chin lock. There was, there was a, there's a phase in the middle of the match that felt like a week where <laughs> someone is in a headlock or a chin lock and I could not believe that they were wasting their time doing this but kind of resigned itself at the end because Luca does the superplex as you said and uh, the commentators point out that that's Barry Windham's move who Luca was fighting at the Shytown Rumble Yeah, but unlike the other matches that we've talked about where I wanted to watch the match at the Shaitan Rumble, I had zero interest in watching that. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's fair enough i think that's a what was weird as well this is the third match right they we know that they at this point they kind of had said we've got the u.s tag team titles up for grabs we've got the world six-man tag team titles up for grabs rookie steamboat's going to be facing some guy that we don't know about yet and rick Steiner is also going to have a match and i'm thinking but we've gone through an hour and you've only managed three matches and i was like a bit worried by this point because we did the really long um steamboat flare uh, bit as well i was a bit like at this point i was starting to realize that this is going to be a very like quick fire second half of the show like the first half of the show was these three quite long overly long matches you could have taken five minutes off of butch reed and steve casey probably the same for luger and the blackmailer in a couple of minutes off the the opener and no one would have been uh, any uh, would have been unhappy and you could have given some real time then for some of the well for the main match of the night and or at least one of the the title matches um so i was kind of this is where i was getting a little bit worried about what the rest of the show was gonna gonna um hold for us and the first thing that it held for us after this match was an interview with rick steiner which talking about ricky steamboat being bad on the microphone my goodness what was this about like what was <laughs> like i don't know if it was a it was a character that he was trying to portray that he was pissed all the time i don't know what was going on i didn't understand a word of what he said i don't have anything to say about it other than i no idea what he said um either of you get anything from it so i was so you get michael hayes is there for a bit i don't quite know why he just kind of turns up and then he obviously has to get his shit in. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, Tinky, I couldn't figure out if that was Steiner's character. But then I couldn't, uh, this is an awful thing to say, but all I could think is that they were trying to make him out to be a bit slow. Like, and yeah, he didn't yeah. really know what was going on. And I was just a bit like, this is horrible. And then it kind of went on and I kind of stopped listening. And then I realised something about it. Rick Steiner's hair is incredible. Like, it's massive. His chin strap is putting such a fucking effort in not to bust out of that hair. And then I was on board with it then. I was like, you know what? That's the best promo of the night. Fuck off, Flair. <laughs> it, it's a very it is a very odd one. Because, yeah, you're right. Just all of a sudden, yeah, Michael Hayes is just there at the beginning. And then he just fucks off. I don't even say why he just disappears. Um, yeah, he, I don't know. I'm not sure what his character has ever been, but I didn't think it was that. <laughs> you know, it's very, very peculiar. Um, Strange. But I was all in, so it didn't matter. I loved it. <laughs> I've been all in with everything. I'd say every match, especially Hacksaw versus Steve Casey, 10 by the way. <laughs> Best match ever? Uh, yeah, after uh, after the Russian Assassins versus the Midnight Scrap. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, I think we'll take a very quick break and we'll come back for the second half of the show in just a moment. Fans, we're here near the entrance to the dressing room and we've asked the world television champion Rick Steiner to come up and talk with us a minute. From I the dressing room. I deliver him. I'm going to deliver all night long. Here he is. He's all yours. All right, Michael Hayes. Thank you. Rick. By the way, Monday night, Mike Rotunda says no more Rick Steiner. Hey, Mike Rotunda, he's a good wrestler. I'm a good collegiate wrestler, too. He was a TV champion. I was a TV champion. You know, but the doctor said I had some problems. You know, I'm going to have to work them out. And what Mike's got to worry about is when I get in the ring, I, I just or flip off and get what I'm doing is just take his head off. Hey, you got a tough one tonight. What about this New Zealander, Rip Morgan? Oh, he's, he's big and he's, he's tough, but... 
I go through with Alex, and Alex, the doctor put me with Alex and watch over me, so Alex can talk to me, and I'll just take care of it, do what I have to do. Rick Steiner and Alex, fans. All right, let's go back to the ring. Okay, welcome back. So we've got four more matches to cover, but this is kind of the second half of the show, and it does it is a bit quick fire in some respects. The first match is the longest of the rest of the show. It's for the NWA United States Tag Team Championship. It lasts about 13 minutes, and it sees the varsity club of Mike Rotunda and Steve Williams against the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. Um, Williams pins Rogers when uh, Rotunda drops a knee on the back of Rogers' head when the ref is ter- ref ref's back is turned this was okay i thought it was a decent little match with some decent uh kind of exchanges in it again nothing too much to write at home about but it, it did its job uh, old man let's start with yourself Ooh, well the first thing that struck me is kevin sullivan's hair i mean it's just fucking hell that tom said the other week about older mantor walking around with his hair you imagine being kevin sullivan walking around with that shite on his head. Uh, <laughs> my, I, I enjoyed the commentary in the early stages of the match in particular because they uh, they set up that the Fantastics are very tough, which you'd expect from a team called the Fantastics, and then they've never submitted. They've yeah. never submitted. That's true, yeah. So they don't end the match on a submission because that's where I thought it was going, and it was going to be like, but yeah, these, are, these varsity boys are bloody good. And uh, so that I don't cover everything in the match, so that Tom's got something to talk about, the main thing that I want to point out is how bloody awful Dr. Williams is. Dr. Williams. Yeah. He. Oh, my God. He's fucking horrific. Like, he's one of the worst hyped-up people I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. He's just like a wardrobe... With Another one <laughs> that barely move with a leotard on that is ill-fitting, unpleasant to look at, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he and Tatanka should team up as the wardrobe. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, and they could have a feud with, like, the removal men. That'd be amazing. <laughs> That's well, or the, the repo man and uh, someone else. Yeah, a, a thief. Nails and, or something. Just when I was starting to give up hope in wrestling, <laughs> we had a week off with no IRS, no Mike Rotunda, and it was upsetting. And then to come come to watch this match, this preview, without looking at the matches beforehand, and for him to come out it was amazing. IRS is the GOAT, <laughs> and I think we can all guarantee that. He has become, he has become a cult favourite in this podcast. Yeah. And he is an absolute fucking lad. And what I will say in this match, he actually wrestles quite well as well. He looks quite technically sound, a lot better than we've ever seen him in his Michael Wall Street or IRS days. Maybe I don't know whether he had an injury or something like that, or maybe like his gimmick was that he was like more of a wrestler because they're like the wrestling varsity club or something like that. So he does a bit more mat stuff. But he was actually really quite good. And the other thing that was weird about it is I've never heard of either of these fantastics allegedly if that's what their real name is and there's a bit where tommy rogers has got mike rotundo in a headlock and i've never seen anyone look so happy in their entire life <laughs> he's got the biggest smile on his face he's like hey this is the goat i got the goat in a headlock <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking amazing 
God, God, Tommy Rogers. Man of my own heart. I'd be the same, Tommy. I yelled at the TV. I didn't think Dr. Death Steve Williams was that bad. Um, and I do agree. Shut up, you bloody... You, you're, you're worse than JR, you are. Um, he does love him some Steve Williams. As look, at, look at your age. All fucking <laughs> 37 here. You bastard. How dare I? Um... <laughs> No, um, and and I agree. I think Mike Rotunda was uh, looked pretty good here. I've again, Rotunda's like I've seen a few of his matches from the very early '80s, and he is significantly bigger by this point, and would continue to be this size through the rest of his career. I don't know whether that's just due to him being so young when he first started out that kind of he filled out a bit, or other reasons which I won't go into. I don't know. But the point is, he's much. He does seem to be a lot bigger by this point in his uh, career than he did when he first started out. Um, and I've never seen the Fantastics before either, but again, I thought they were perfectly adequate. I thought this was a, I thought it was all right, this tag team match. Again, nothing majorly special, just all right. It was fine. There, there is a lovely moment of years towards the end of the match when uh, older uh, Fulton, I forget his first name, so we'll call him Frank. Frank Bobby. Fulton. No, Frank. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, he, prefers, he has... He prefers Frank. Yeah, he has his Owen Hart moment before Owen Hart well, he's t- for about three minutes oh! this oh, horrible <laughs> amount of spit on yeah. the side of his face oh. and it's like I can't imagine Frank's family at home watching that his mum Mrs Fulton his dad Mr Fulton and his wife Mrs Fulton <laughs> just sat there at home with Fulton Jr on their laps, led across them, just going, why's daddy got all that spit on his face? <laughs> or maybe it's not spit. Yeah, perhaps it's some St. Valentine's evening love juice. <laughs> it looked like there'd been a Valentine's Day massacre on his face. <laughs> it was it was so, it, it was gross. It's, oh, it was horrible. And I'll tell you what, it's, 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 unlike the Owen Hart one, it's easy for, the, for Owen Hart, because you can tell, He's clearly very thirsty when that happens. He's clearly incredibly thirsty in this match. And and you can understand why you wouldn't know, because even though it's quite noticeable because of how white it is, it's just it's just there in the corner of his mouth. Yeah. With Frankie, it's fucking loads of it. And it's like yeah. ripped at his face. It's like he's been in like a bukkake party or something like that. <laughs> it is disgusting. It is so rank. And it's there for ages. And I think the only time it gets, I think it ends up getting like wiped off on Steve Williams in like a headlock yeah. or something like that. Ugh, gross. Well, no, yeah, it, I mean, it, I noticed this about Franklin Delano Fulton. Um, <laughs> he uh, he definitely, like, it. and the worst part was, is while you were watching it, you could only concentrate on it because you wanted confirmation that he'd wiped it. And and he hadn't. He just didn't wipe it. And you're right. It must have come off on someone's armpit or something. And there are two things that have been described as being gross on this podcast. That's one of them. And Todd Pitt and Gill's mullet is the other. So <laughs> <laughs> there are those well, are the categories that we're dealing with. Well, the thing is, is that's still not the most repugnant part of this match. <laughs> right. Okay. Because we're treated to another Rick Steiner promo. A little pop-up promo. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it sounds like he's reading the dictionary and then he falls down the stairs. <laughs> he's just like... Bah, 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 bah. And it's like, what the fuck's he on about? And then he disappears. <laughs> and I'm just left there thinking, what's going on? And then a guy in the crowd <laughs> must have 
felt my discomfort because they do a tremendous muscle pose, even <laughs> though they're they're not very muscular. And I enjoyed that. The bloke with the toilet roll should have gone in to help that help him out with yes. that stuff on his face. Well, he was worried about not having enough left for later, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah that's true. true. Unless what had happened is the guy was having a little tug in the old uh, crowd <laughs> and it shot out. Frank Fulton had turned around just at the moment of <laughs> gone on his chin. Lovely old job. Suddenly, Steve oh. Williams, on his leotard, after chin locking him, Steve Williams is <laughs> and, uh, lovely old job. Is it like, like Migs in the Silence of the Lambs? Just launches at him. <laughs> well, we earlier on were struggling oh. to come up with um, other Ricky Steamboat matches that we'd seen that to compare to see if Tom's assessment of Steamboat was correct. Well, here's a match from Ricky Steamboat as he faced Bob Bradley uh, in a warm what had been described as a warm up match for his match with Ric Flair at the Chi Town Rumble. Uh, Steamboat won after about six minutes with a flying cross body. Uh, Tom, let's start with you, though. I, uh, I do uh, I do fear what you're going to say. One thing I will say is that there were definitely We Want Flair chants during this match. Um, one thing I'll also say as well, mercifully, this didn't happen, but it had a 30-minute time limit <laughs> at the beginning. Needed all that six minutes, needed all 30 of that, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it was just, this, is when, this is when my kind of distaste for uh, Ricky Steamboat really, really kicked in, because I was like, he's, he's shit on the mic, shit character. And he had, he's not even that good. You know, I said, I'm repeating everything that I said earlier, but a couple of arm drags and a chop off the top rope and a crossbody. That's it. That's do you it. think, do you think it's, chop. do you think it's, he's not very good for the, for by now standards, or do you think he's not very good for the time? There's still not much to his moveset at the time. I mean, at the time there were still, you know, people out there wrestling in, in both, you know, corporations who had more about them. I mean, you think about like, I guess it's hard to say, but like you think about like you know the, the likes of Randy Savage, you think of the likes of Ted DiBiase, Kurt Hennig, um, Bret Hart, obviously, and then you've got the Rockers, and they've all got so much more about them than Steamboat, and I just don't, I just don't really get it if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you're starting to win me over if I'm honest, Tom, because this wasn't, this wasn't a great performance. I mean, in fairness, this is a six-minute enhancement match. Um, which is entirely designed to just give Ricky Steamboat a victory ahead of a much more important contest. But I think ultimately, in order to prove or disprove this, we'll need to, over the course of this podcast, have to watch more Ricky Steamboat matches. Because at the moment, it is difficult to argue with you, given that the main matches I've seen with him are with Savage or Flair. And if you're in the ring with Savage or Flair, you're more than likely to have a decent match. So it is a difficult one. Old man. My main takeaway from this is that uh, there's what Tom said with the crowd chatting for Flair. Um, Bob Bradley puts air cover shift in. He puts it and he sells an atomic drop at the start of the match magnificently. It's, uh, yeah, I, I just thought he really put a good shift in. He also does a good job at getting Steamboat annoyed. But then when I was watching it, I was thinking a bit like, one, Steamboat's probably the best ever. And two, <laughs> he starts wrestling quite heelish as well. He starts like, yeah, he's just very, I don't know, he gets, um, suppose he just looks a bit pissed off with everything. Maybe he's pissed off because he's not at home with his apple pie and his <laughs> wife and his kid. Well, his five wives and his kid. 
Um, I thought, uh, I, I mean, I think Steamboat's all right. A bit like both of you have said, I haven't really watched enough of him, so I don't really know. But what I've seen of him, I thought was all right. I think the I, way Tom's describing him is is similar to the way I describe Jericho. And I don't actually think Jericho, for example, is a terrible wrestler or even or even below average, like or even average. I think he's well above average. I just don't think he's as good as people make out that he is. And I think that's where Tom's frustration is coming. Well, let's be honest. He's no Mike Rotunda. Well, that's, that's hard though uh, come on you can't you can't be comparing him to mike rotunda the greatest wrestler who ever lived I, f- I was just about to say i forgot to say this when we were talking about the varsity club match when we watched uh nwo sold out in episode two for those looking for it in our back catalog our extensive back catalog <laughs> now uh it's eight years later no wonder he's so absolute shit Eight years later. Are you disparaging uh, Mike Rotunda now? Is this is this you need to think twice before you fi- fix your lips to start talking about the god in that manner. Well and also I... his first name is it is a bit of trivia for you. His first name's Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence Michael Rotunda. Why why didn't he go with Lawrence? Larry Rotunda. Yeah. <laughs> they would have taken him seriously if he did that. Larry Wall Street. Oh. <laughs> go on, Laz. <laughs> Yeah, but back to Steamboat. I think the criticisms of Steamboat can be thrown at Flair also in terms of moveset. Because Flair pretty much spent a large, probably the most successful period of his career lying down in matches from what I've seen. And I don't, the one thing that Flair does have over him is he has his promo and he also has his selling as well. And I think that is the thing. That's what Steamboat misses. I, I noticed it in this match in particular. He doesn't manage to garner any sympathy from the crowd when Bradley does. Because Bradley gets some stuff in as well. Like manages to work over Steamboat for a minute or two. And he doesn't get anything from the crowd. It's an interesting point. And I actually think you're right about Flair. I think there is, is definitely an argument to be made that Flair has similar issues in the ring that you're talking about with Steamboat in that he doesn't, there isn't a lot of variety there. He does do a lot of the same stuff. And actually I'd even argue that his promos, the promo that he cuts in this show is very similar to lots of other promos he cuts. I mean, they are almost word for word, exactly the same as other promos I've heard him do. Um, So I'm not, that's not me criticizing Flair. It's more me trying to defend Steamboat than anything else there. Yeah, you do turn coma. (laughs) <laughs> well I'm, I'm i'm to be honest i'm taking on both of your opinions and i'm i am struggling with it because i do feel like there's a there, there is a question over them and i think hopefully as part of this podcast we will start to answer some of those questions and yes. we'll be able to form a, a more rounded opinion of both men you of all people should know tinky it's 2021 now there's no room for nuance i'm sorry i'm sorry you're wrong old man tom's right fuck off both of you yeah. yeah. I tell you what, it's also good to see Bob Bradley before he managed Swansea City. Yeah, I was thinking Yeah, yeah, for that ill-fated spell. I I think his role at Swansea City lasted about six minutes too. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. One thing I did notice during this match is that Bradley at one point is slingshotted into the ring by Ricky Steamboat, and as he as he comes into the ring, Bradley falls on his face. Um, I don't know if you noticed that. Bit. <laughs> I didn't notice that, no. Because obviously you're supposed to, when you get slingshotted in, you're supposed to kind of like 
you know flip over and fall on your back he just didn't manage to flip over and ended up coming down on his face just <laughs> poor old Bob Bradley um let's move on to the next match which is Rick Steiner versus Rip Morgan uh Rick Steiner was the television champion at the time but this was not for the belt lasted just four minutes and 40 seconds the highlight for me was a nice power slam by Rick Steiner at one point and a belly-to-belly suplex which Steiner used to win it I also really enjoyed uh, the fact that Morgan performed a pre-match hacker for this one, um, being from New Zealand, um, he decided that he was going to try and psych out the dog face gremlin with a hacker. Uh, old man, let's start with you. Your thoughts on this one? The main thing, so I had a couple of main notes. So you've just mentioned one of them was the Rick Morgan hacker, yep. which Ste- Steiner. 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 That's probably how you actually pronounce it. Yeah. It sounds but, like you're doing the uh, scene from Downfall that gets memed all the time. Uh, yeah, so he interrupts the hacker, which is a big no-no. Like, a big no-no in New Zealand culture. Like, it's really, like, he would have got the shit kicked out of him if he'd actually done that. And Rick Morgan's a big lad. And I actually quite like Rick Morgan. I might say his name again, Rick Morgan. Rick Morgan. So uh, when Rick Steiner comes down this was the other main note that i had he comes down to the ring looks so uncomfortable and all i've written down is that he looks like a lost kid in a shopping center looking for his mum he's just like oh what's going on where am i where am i but he is so over he's not very good i must say it's kind of like you can get away with it a bit more in tag team wrestling so when i saw him with his brother in wwf like, I thought he was all right. But he is so over. It's quite incredible. And uh, another note is uh, the commentators say that Rip Morgan, he don't know what pain is. Then he gets punched and he goes down on the floor. <laughs> like, literally about <laughs> half a second later. It's like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> Tom, your thoughts? Uh, I didn't really have any, to be honest. It was, it, was, it was four minutes long and it felt like it went on for about 25, if I'm being honest. Again, nothing that hasn't already been said, but it was just... I just couldn't believe how over he was. And the other thing is as well that I thought about it, I started thinking, I didn't ever realise, this is, and this is my kind of real gap in my kind of NWA slash WCW knowledge, I did not ever realise that Rick Steiner had a solo run. I always thought the Steiner brothers were just a thing. But this is pre-Scott Steiner, isn't it? He debuted shortly after this, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, was, a, he was on his own for a few years before Steiner, Scott Steiner turned up. And his gimmick was he was a simpleton? I don't know about that, but it did appear that way from the what we saw in this show. Okay, and and why is he so over? Anyone, anyone know? <laughs> I don't know. What? Maybe, maybe, maybe the crowd just really liked his nonsensical promos and his his little boy lost routine. I don't know. Well, that's what's so odd, and he obviously comes down because he. Oh, his music's amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, that's the one good thing. But somehow. Like, JR only mentions it once, his Michigan State jacket. I mean, fuck off. I'm sorry, if you need a varsity jacket to get you over, you're an embarrassment. But here's the thing, like, is, they're, they're, they're suggesting that he's a student athlete type with the varsity jacket. And yet there ain't no plays... way he goes to school. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, he's playing a simpleton. I don't, I, what is going on here? What is, what is this all about? Anyone know what was going on there? I don't know. I'm tapping out, mate. Yeah, I think I'll go. I'll go back to it. I think it's his hair. His hair gets him over. His hair's so big. His it's always the hair. 
Yeah, his hair is enormous. Well, I'm bald, so it's, it's always going to be the hair, isn't it? It's the hair that makes the man. <laughs> oh, God, the, the self-loathing, you know. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> so then we get a promo backstage where Bob Caldwell is with Sting, Junkyard Dog, and Michael Hayes. Um, they completely have their little promo. They walk off. They go back into the dressing room, which doesn't, which doesn't make sense because they're about to take part in the main event. Kevin Sullivan then appears, locks them into the dressing room, which for some reason the dressing room's got a cage attached to it, which which allows them to be locked into the dressing room. And then we go down to ringside for what is supposed to be the main event, which is going to apparently feature Sting, Junkyard Dog and Michael Hayes against the Road Warriors and Genichiro Tenru. Uh, but because the three of them are locked in the the locked in the backstage area, uh, they can't make it out. Before we get to what ends up happening in the main event, let's talk about this then, because I was confused by this. And it may have been that I took my my eyes away from the screen for half a minute or half a second or something because I was completely confused by why the hell they went back into the dressing room. Right. So this is what this is my breakdown of it. First start, Sting's really rude. He's constantly talking over the interviewer all the time, interrupting him. Very rude. Junkyard Dog starts talking about they've all got big bones, which is very, very, very suspect. Valentine's um, Day, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Michael Hayes, at one point, is doing quite an intense, quite a good promo, and he's pointing at the thing, uh, pointing at the camera, and he's got what I'm pretty sure are the longest fingers I've ever seen. His hands are absolutely <laughs> enormous, of Michael Hayes. And then you're right, Michael, uh, Michael Kevin Sullivan runs on and locks him up for some reason. This is one thing that really confused me about this, right? Kevin Sullivan's like a cult leader, a demonic kind of cult leader. Why is he hanging out with the varsity club? No. The other bit that doesn't make any sense <laughs> was when the Road Warriors coming down to the ring to some great 80s music. They show a little little video in the corner of them trying to get out of the ring. <laughs> and Sting's holding a ladder for some reason and he's trying to open the door with the ladder <laughs> what are you doing Steve you've lost your mind that bleach has gone to your head hasn't it mate what are you fucking doing so are we, are we saying that we don't know why they went back into the dressing room is that what we're saying because I think the other thing is they don't just go back into the dressing room they come back as if to to leave the dressing room again literally yeah. 10 seconds later so why have they gone back into the dressing room my assumption is that one of them had to have a quick dump. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's my assumption. Dump, well, or maybe like, I mean, Sting is, Sting seems very agitated. It seems like he might have piles. So he might have had to have gone and put, put some pile cream on. Um, Junkyard Dog, not seem to really know what's going on, but my God, he seems like a lovely man. Seem, he seems like a lovely man. Michael Hayes, I didn't notice his fingers, but I didn't notice how good he was cutting the promo. I thought mm. it was tremendous. Could have probably listened to him and Flair have a little shout off for know, 10 minutes or so and then got a bit <laughs> bored. The thing that I didn't understand is like Tom said about Sting with the ladder, <laughs> which just really confused me. Michael Hayes then tries to climb over a gap which is probably big enough to fit an ant in and he tries to like fit through there and also you can see the size of the padlock right this is three big guys i'm gonna say they could have probably ripped that gate off 
Like, and how angry they are, they probably should have. But what it does mean as a result of this is that we get another match with Mike Rotunda in. The Varsity Club turn up to face the Road Warriors and their mate. And it's amazing. So that means that the streak is still alive because we have got five Mike Rotunda matches in five pay-per-views. Yep. You have indeed five from five. Yeah. So means it was all worth it. So the reason for Kevin Sullivan locking the baby faces in the, the cage that was made up the dressing room door um, was so that they could come out and face the Road Warriors and Genichiro Tenru for the six-man tag team titles. And, um, yeah, we'll have a match. I don't really know what was going on in terms of, I assume the Road Warriors were baby faces as well as their original intended opponents, which is a bit strange. But then, obviously, then they face the Varsity Club instead, which maybe is another reason why they, they decided for the storyline to have them locked in the in the, in the backstage area. Um, during this match, as you said, we get lots of inserts of footage from backstage where the baby faces are trying to get out. One of them includes Doug Dillinger trying loads of different keys. <laughs> Here he is. So what's, what, this is the crazy part. Is Kevin Sullivan has used his own padlock to lock this cell. And yet Doug Dillinger, the head of security, thinks he's got a copy of the key on his big ring of keys and he's just checking a load of keys to see if they work. That doesn't work. They end up going to get some bolt cutters and uh, making a bit of a meal of that and getting them out. Where does he ever? It's embarrassing <laughs> watching him trying to use these bolt cutters. <laughs> the, uh, the match itself, does. we don't really pay much attention to the match itself whilst it's going on because we're too distracted by what's going on backstage. And then they eventually get out of the backstage area, run down to the ring and we have a big old brawl to end them end the show all three teams fighting one another um as uh, and then we go for a break to sort of before we have the final bit of the show um your thoughts on this kind of i, I put i put in air quotes match because it's barely a match um tom your thoughts can we talk about the levels of disrespect in this match of course we can the entire match until just before the run-in is steve williams and no sooner does Big Mike get tagged in, the running happens. And we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we're stolen, stolen. We're, we're robbed of some more white hot Mike Rotunda action. It, Rotunda action. I really should, should learn how to pronounce that fucker's name. Um, no, no, this is an important point because nobody <laughs> ever does learn how to say his name. Yeah. He has been called Rotundo and Rotunda constantly there is i in fact i think there's probably still disagreement about how his actual name is said in terms of as a pro wrestler what his ring name was because no one gets it right ever well i'll tell you what then god as soon as god gets tagged in he it, it does the running happens and we're robbed of it and it is it is, it is a, a sham it's an absolute disgrace and i think jim crockett has a lot to answer for <laughs> um oh man well the first thing that i noticed about this match is that Paul Ellery, he's only on screen for a matter of seconds. He looks like he's dressed as if he's auditioning for Jurassic Park. He is wearing some phenomenal clothing. Just unbelievable. And then the match, the match of sorts, my word is stiff. I mean, it's like, it made me flinch just watching it. And the way that JR sells the running, I mean, he, he sells it like it's a prison riot. <laughs> I thought, as much as I didn't go a lot on the 
show as a whole, I thought the running is done tremendously. And then because it's just carnage. And uh, there's one thing I do need to point out. And this was uh, another thing pointed out by our number one fan, Shalini, for the Random Wrestling Review podcast, number one fan. Uh, Steve Williams, at one point, is having a little brawl with Animal. They're having a good time. Animal goes to kick uh, Steve Williams in the stomach, kicks him straight in the nuts. Steve, <laughs> Will- <laughs> Steve Williams just kind of rolls out of the middle rope of the ring and then he's just stood on the side just like holding himself just like oh oh, oh god oh it's unbelievable it's unbelievable and I all I can think is happy valentine's day to all our listeners but not happy valentine's day for Steve Williams because no. my word his poor wife or husband must have been devastated when they got him and seen his bruised bollocks with animals <laughs> footprint on them. I've got kind of two main thoughts about this match. The first one is that um, I'm really disappointed because I thought Road Warriors and Tenru against Sting, JYD and Michael Hayes sounded like a really quite interesting six-man tag match, which I thought might have lots of heat, could be really enjoyable, um, and I was looking forward to it. And it's another reason why I was kind of a bit worried about the length of the matches early on in the show because i thought the more the, the longer those matches went on the long the more chance was this was not going to be a proper match which it ended up not being which is a real shame but on the con- to, contrary to that this is the kind of thing that the wwf did at the height of raw quite regularly this was this could have easily been a, mm. a main event of a monday night raw during the attitude era during 98 or 99 or something um and where basically the end you had all sort of nine men fighting all over the place through the crowd and all kinds of stuff the fans were going mental it was a really kind of good chaotic end of the show kind of feel to it um and so as i say as a as a match it was a real disappointment but i thought it served quite well ultimately in doing what nwa were trying to do which was sell Chai Tan rumble again you know sort of leaving everybody on this note of god i really want more of that because it was so exciting so um so yeah i think it, it contradictory i guess in terms of th- those thoughts but on one hand I, I was really disappointed on the other i thought it was, it was well done but it definitely made me want to watch um you know shy Town rumble and yeah it and i and i started it you know it served its purpose very much so so yeah i i, I said this is the end of the show apart from a little like a little uh like it's like a little montage at the end, isn't there? Um, There's a sign-off from Jim Ross and Magnum TA. They do a kind of little last sort of minute of talking right at the end of the show and and promotion for the for the Chai Town Rumble. But yeah, that, this is essentially the end of the show. Yeah, and I I'll be honest, yeah, I I I love this entire show. I really do. I mean, I may I mean I've gone across and said it, like, so I've kind of joked about it and stuff. But it was just so much fun. Like it, and what, what I loved about it as well, it's two hours long as well. That was it. So easy, so easy to watch. Just like didn't didn't yeah, it wasn't too difficult. It was just paced quite nicely and yeah, some of the matches were mercifully short. So it was it was great. I loved it. So what would you give it as a star rating out of five, Tom? So I'm trying to think, because I'd feel like a bit of a charlatan if I scored it higher than I scored the Rumble ninety two <laughs> last week. Hey, so it's I, it's your personal opinion, it's fine. Whatever you think, I, mate. Whatever you think. I'm giving this a 3.5. 3.5. Wow, that's the yeah. same as the Rumble 92 that you gave the score of. 
Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I really, I really, really enjoyed this card. It was so much fun. It made me feel nostalgic for something new, which is quite an odd sensation to have. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just thought it was great. I loved it. And your match of the night? My match of my night is obviously the Varsity Club versus Fantastics. Obviously. <laughs> I think I think more than anyone, Tom's taking the Mike Rotunda love in ser- more seriously yeah. than anybody else. I'll be honest, I think I may have worked myself into a shoot a little bit. Oh man, your thoughts on the overall uh, of the show? Um, I thought I thought it was fine. I didn't. I uh, as much as I would absolutely love to share Tom's enthusiasm for it, I just can't. I didn't. Um, there's not enough to get me invested. It took me three sit-ins to get through the four sit-ins to get through the two hours. Right. Which I think says it all. In terms of a rating, I'd probably go 1.8. 1.8? That's still quite high. Well, not really. Well, I think it's not far off what you gave Royal Rumble 95. Yeah, which says a lot about Royal Rumble 95. <laughs> Fair enough. My favourite part of the show were the two Rick Steiner promos. Because they <laughs> intrigued me more than anything I have seen in a wrestling show ever, I think. Ever, yeah, Amazing. yeah, because because I don't have a clue what's going on. <laughs> so I thought the show was 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 okay. It was a good two hour watch. I will never watch it again, and I certainly don't think it's it rivals even the Rumble '95, which was the first thing we showed, uh, the first show we watched. Sorry, uh, I think I gave that a two point two out of ten, out of five. I think, as I remember it, I would give this similar to Old Man about one point seven, one point eight. Um, I just thought it was it was kind of a nice bit of throwaway. It was it was fine. I don't think it was well paced, contrary to what Tom said. I think it was po- really poorly, um, really poorly uh, um, paced in terms of the first match was sort of 13 minutes. The second match was 17 minutes, and it was Butch Reed and Steve Casey, and it was supposed to be pushing Butch Reed as a threat to Sting, and it took him 17 minutes to beat this guy who no one's ever heard of, as undefeated as he might have been. Um, And then it left no time for what could have been a really good main event um, for the six-man tag titles. But it was was perfectly fine. The the angle between Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat I thought was really good. And I thought the end was was um, chaotic and probably very much probably left anybody watching um, excited for the pay-per-view and potentially would have gotten them a couple more buys for that show. So, again, can't really argue with that. So, overall, not a bad show, not a great one. My match of the night was the Butch Reed Steve Casey as much as I um, might bitch <laughs> about the fact they lasted 17 minutes. I still think it was the best match on the show. And that's weird because it... it 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 was two pretty nondescript guys who I've never really been certainly Butch Reed have never really been that interested in, but I thought they had a good good little contest. And um yeah, that's my thoughts. Um so we are we've got the game next, is that not right? That is correct. And you um, are hosting, I believe, Tom. I am the game host this week. So, lads, a bit controversial topic, considering we've left it in in our wake. But I'm taking us back into the realm of the Rumble. Okay. Okay. I want you guys to name me, excluding this year's, they're still too fresh in the memory, the winners of the Royal Rumble matches, both male and female. Okay. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin. I don't have one. I'm going to flip this candle. 
and see. Lovely. It's not lit. It's not lit. Listening. Yeah, who wants who wants uh, candle side and who wants the bottom of the candle? I'll Top, I'll bottom. go wick. Okay, wick side up. Okay, it is wick side up, old man. Yes. <laughs> so excited. So, so I need a winner of a Royal Rumble match, please. Axel Jim Duggan. Axel Jim Duggan won it in 1988. Tinky. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, winner in 1990 and 1991. With a tear in my eye, Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, winner in 1997, 1998 and 2001. The only person to have won it three times. Uh, Ric Flair then, I guess. Ric Flair, winner of 1992, as discussed last week. The Undertaker. The Undertaker, winner 2007. I forgot about that one when I was mm. uh, compiling this list. Yeah, I might have forgotten that as well. Um, uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, two-time winner in 1995 and 1996. The only person to do it back-to-back, apart from Stone Cold Steve Austin. Sheamus. Sheamus, winner 2012. Um, Cena. John Cena, another two-time winner, 2008 and 2013. Batista. Batista, another two-time winner, 2005 and 2014. Um, Triple H. Triple H, another two-time winner. Fuck no, they're not very like original. <laughs> 2002, 2016. Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns, winner 2015, to an awful reception. Yeah. Um, The Rock. The Rock, winner in... Oh, my God, it's under the... uh, In 2000. (laughs) Shinsuke Nakamura. Winner 2018. Um, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. Uh, Mr. McMahon, to you. Uh, Winner 1999. Hmm. Alberto Del Rio. The winner of the 2011 Royal Rumble. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, 2003. Interesting. I would have thought him to have won another one more recently than that. Bret Hart. Bret Hart, 1994. Well, I'll go the other half then. Lex Luger. Yep. There we go. Bloody hell. Hmm. Oh, Struggling here. Getting a bit pushed from time here, buddy. Oh, Asuka. Asuka. Yes. 2018. Uh, Yokozuna. Oh, Yokozuna, 1993. That's your era, Tinky. You love all that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair, last year's winner. Uh, Big John Studd. Oh, that was the one I was trying to get. Well done. The well, winner, 1989. The first wrestling video I ever owned. Oh, that's lovely. Official wrestling video. I had a copy of the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch, 2019's winner. I tell you, boys, I think we're worried we're going to run out here. Uh, Chris Benoit. 2004's winner. Great rumble, that is. Uh, Rey Mysterio. Mysterio. Uh, 2006. Uh, Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre, 2020, last year's winner. Went on to win the big title at Mania. At Mania. Okay, guys. Uh, 
Oh, this is wrong. Seth Rollins. He's won it. 2019. Yes. I got a feeling that might even be the last one um, that we haven't got because I'm really, really struggling for anything else. Um, I mean, are we we including the greatest Royal Rumble ever? No. Oh, what? Um, Okay. (laughs) They're pretty sure that I can't come up with anyone else. Let me just very quickly. um... All right, get off wiki, mate. Uh no I have no I I'm got oh, the knowledge has fallen I haven't got anybody else. we we could do, we must have done nearly all of them right you lads uh, well well I tell you what despite the fact that you are a loser in this game thinking there are no losers in my eyes um <laughs> you guys did incredibly well you are missing our only edge to oh, and the last the last person is a double rumble winner. Randall Keith Orton. Oh, of course. Oh. Oh. Basically, we missed out rated RKO. Basically, that's what. Yeah. We did. I'll tell you what, though, you boys should be proud of yourselves. I'm proud of yourselves. You, I, I wouldn't have got that. I, would, I wouldn't have got. I wouldn't have got Yokozuna. I wouldn't have got Sheamus, Alberto Del Rio. Rio. I wouldn't have got Benoit. You guys did wonderfully. Well, done. I knew. I knew that Braun Strowman had won the Greatest Royal Rumble ever. So I was like, can we just include that? Because. <laughs> yeah. And also know that China won the uh, corporate Royal Rumble, which yes. would have been another, surely should have been another uh, acceptable answer. But I assumed that they wouldn't be allowed. You assume correctly. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, what a, what a game, guys. Well done again. Yeah. I, I think the, I, I want the listeners to show their respect to you on via Twitter at RWRPod UK because you you two went back and forth. It was like it was like the end scene of Rocky Four then just watching you two slug out it was wonderful so well done well thank you very much um indeed rwr pod uk for twitter instagram and as i said early on in the show facebook we have also got a youtube channel you can search for us uh, the random wrestling review um and also give us uh give us a rating give us a review on your podcasting app of choice um that would be really helpful to us in terms of reaching as many people as we possibly can um old man thanks very much for joining me today Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Tom. Cheers, lads. Oh, and obviously one last shout out. Now the listeners have, uh, have made it to the end of the pod. They can get their Valentine's loving in. Enjoy it and think of us. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's going to kill the mood in bedrooms across the world <laughs> right there. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for making it all the way to the end. Um, and thank you for everyone who has uh, joined us for this podcast throughout uh, the run we've had so far. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care.